Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. We are thrilled to announce the launch of this podcast network to add more avenues to grow awareness and innovation around analytics and sports. We are excited to make the panel discussions from our 2019 conference, which covers a wide range of sports and analytics topics available via podcast for the very first time. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the early session here and welcome to day two of the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is David Mazza. I am a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you this morning our career kickoff panel. Uh, our panelists today are Brandon Shore, VP of Football Administration at the Miami Dolphins, Hannah Pelto Clough, uh, VP at the uh, at Warner Media at Advanced Media Advanced uh, Analytics Solutions, um, Matt Wolf at the NBA's uh, Teambo Department, Aaron Golden, Manager at Express Lane, Michelle Wang, uh, Director of Strategy at uh, Live Nation Entertainment, and our moderator Elizabeth Moulton. Uh, co-practice leader at the sports business practice for Spencer Stewart. The panel will run for about 45 minutes, after which we will leave 10 minutes for audience Q&A. If you'd like to ask a question to our panelists, we ask that you submit through t Twitter using the hashtag careerkickoff. And with that, I'll leave it with Liz. Thank you so much, um, and thank you for the slight delay here. I know we're running a little behind, but I'm sure no one was too sad to get a couple more minutes for coffee. Um, so I think this is a fun panel every year where there's a lot to be learned in terms of, I guess, breaking into the sports industry and then the trajectory within the sports industry. Not just sports analytics, but that's my bias because I, my work is all sports holistically. I think the best thing to always do to start is to talk about your backgrounds very briefly, just a couple highlights, and maybe the way you broke in, broke in or uh, got your first job in sports. So we'll start there. So I'll start with Matt, Timbo. Timbo's the gold standard for breaking into sports, I think. Sure, yeah, and I've been, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be um, in Timbo for almost seven years now. Um, before that, I started my career outside of sports, actually. I, um, coming out of undergrad, I had always been passionate about sports business, as I'm sure many of us are. Um, and in my process of asking people you know, what I could do in sports, the question I would always get was, you know, what can you do? Yeah. And uh, it was a question I wasn't very good at answering. So I figured out I would start by learning and figuring out what I could do. Mm -hmm. um, so I started my career at Disney in their corporate strategy group. Oh. Um, great opportunity to learn you know, sort of traditional business skills, um, put yourself in a challenging and rigorous environment, um, flex some of the muscles you build academically in, in undergrad um, and, you know, continued to keep my focus on getting a career in sports while building skills in a, in a tangential agent, uh, industry. Um, and then through that process, just kind of kept looking for opportunities, kept talking to people, eventually ended up at the MBA in our strategic development group, which is our league level strategy group. Mm. And from there have yeah. just kind of um, continued on through the NBA, continued to learn, uh, get exposed to new opportunities, and did a, a couple of years at business school in between and ended up coming oh. back. And NBA, I think, really is 
has set a lot of the standard of crossing over into sports from blue chip industries and certainly the Teambo, for I'm sure the vast majority of you know it, but the team marketing business operations is the spot where I think a lot of people come from strategy consulting, management consulting, or other, and um, bring a lot of ex external experience. Um, Hannah. Sure. Um so um, I kind of dabbled in sports, but I actually ended up in media and entertainment doing analytics. So I can uh, talk you through that road. It's um, certainly, as Matt and I were talking before the panel, an adjacent industry and a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences as well. Um, so out of undergrad, where some of you are now, I was probably not as sort of smart or sophisticated to sit in these type of panels. I had a singular focus to go play basketball professionally and that's all I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and ended up doing that in France for several years. Loved the experience. Um, honestly, still the hardest job I'll probably ever do. Um, and then I, I was faced with the decision um, just because of finances and a lot of different reasons, do I uh, play for 10 more years or do I now switch careers and, and go actually into business or analytics or sports, all these things I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up getting a little antsy and coming back to the States. Um, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but wanted to learn quickly. So went the traditional sort of business analytics path, um, went to strategy consulting, got my MBA at Sloan, came back to consulting. Um, and then I, after building some skills, after playing basketball, actually in the business world, I was ready to pursue my sports dream roles. Um, actually, uh, and I, I co-led the conference while here, so I ended up with some connections here, uh, ended up talking to a few teams, um, and funny enough, um, I felt like maybe those opportunities weren't quite the right fit for me after doing a lot of diligence. And one of the teams um, ended up forwarding my resume to my current boss, got this cryptic note. I was like, I know you want to do Moneyball in sports. Do you want to do it in Hollywood? Like, this is crazy. I'm based in Boston. I don't even watch movies. Like, how is this going to work? Um, uh, but here I am five, six years later, um, having spent a lot of time in the industry, um, sort of using data and analytics to uh, um, drive strategic decisions for our content, our films, uh, and TV shows, and it's been an interesting uh, ride, not where I thought I would end up at all. Um, I'd always had a sort of singular focus on sports, but um, it's an interesting example of a, the wide variety of opportunities in, in analytics and how a path might lead you somewhere than what you thought originally. And I think it's an indication that sports, when we talk about, there's obviously a whole ecosystem of sports and entertainment is an arm of it and Ticketmaster is an arm of it in terms of the industries that serve the sports industry too. So Michelle, talk a little bit about yeah. getting to Ticketmaster. Um, so my trajectory has been relatively straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, I was one of those kids in undergrad who had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, all I knew was that I wanted to make money and <laughs> and I wanted to make an impact on whatever organization that I ended up with. And so naturally that led me to management consulting. Mm -hmm. And so right out of undergrad, I went into consulting for a few years. And what's interesting is from the moment I started, I knew it wasn't for me. Um, just the hours, client facing, all of that, I knew that I long-term was just not a good fit for me. Um, but I did recognize the skill sets, like the analytical capabilities that you build, the storytelling, mm -hmm. the executive presence. I knew that that would be invaluable to my career, and so I stuck it out. Um, at right about three years, I met Amy Howe, who is our current president. Mm -hmm. um, we really <clears throat> immediately hit it off, and 
And so I, next thing I know, I'm at Live Nation Ticketmaster, and I've been there for about three years now. Nice. Yeah. Okay, good. And I do think manage, there's always a thread of management strategy consulting. That, and, and because of the skills you build there, and because of, and in every search that I do, there's a request for folks who have a McKinsey or Bain or similar yeah. background. Um, and we could talk a little bit about that. And then, Brandon, you've had really cool moves in your trajectory. Yeah. I feel like I've seen so many sides of the house, so yes. I'm interested in... Yeah, sure. So, so I, I grew up in South Florida and really, you know, I set out to, to really, you know, work for the Dolphins. That was kind of my goal when I was young and, and I, every decision I made over the course of my, you know, academic career was, was to prepare me to, to have a chance to work in the NFL and, and really to, to, work, to work for the Dolphins. So what I did was I, I, I really studied the folks who had the jobs that I wanted and tried to reverse engineer uh, the skill set that they had, the backgrounds that they had, and then I try to set out my path. Um, that way, that was at least the plan. Um, and then I went to, uh, you know, I went to law school at University of Miami, and was lucky enough uh, in in law school to meet the uh, the general manager of the Dolphins at the time at an event similar to this. And he was on a panel, and, and um, you know, I waited in line to talk to him afterwards, and maybe maybe waited half hour, and, and I got up to him, and we just started talking, and we hit it off. And he kind of offered me an internship on the spot, and I, I started the next day, and. Um, and I haven't left, so that was about <laughs> nine nine years ago. Um, and through my nine years at the Dolphins, I think I, I think I've had seven different job titles. Liz and I got to know each other a little bit when I worked in human resources at the Dolphins. But I worked in in operations and finance and in, in legal and human resources and back to football ops and now football administration. So you know the message there I always like to tell students and, and, and people when I when I talk about career advice is always cast a wide net. And don't miss an opportunity to, to learn and grow by being so singularly focused on what you want to do. It's, it's really, you know, do as much as you can, learn as much as you can in every opportunity, and keep the focus on where you want to get to, but, but take every opportunity as it comes to, to really learn and, and develop. Like two lessons, too. Go to these events. Yes. I have not heard the story of someone waiting after the event and then yes. getting a role. That's yeah. amazing. And then do any job you can. That's right. That's <laughs> and right. have a CEO who believes you can do any job you can too. That's another thing I think yeah. you have in Tom. Yeah, Tom's great, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. And then um, Aaron, and I'd love to hear just a little bit too, touching on your background, which is not just Pittsburgh roots, but engineering. Yes, yeah. Um, I guess a bit, a bit different from some of the others in the sense that I, um, I think I've always had a passion for sport, but didn't think about it from a professional standpoint initially. Um, so I uh, went to, uh, to Penn State for my undergrad in chemical engineering. And then um, I actually worked in the oil and gas industry for, for five years. Um, and through that, really developed a passion for operations. So I was doing a lot of um, you know, manufacturing, supply chain, uh, demand planning type of work, and absolutely loved this challenge of you know, how do you balance cost and speed and, and get your product to the consumer when they want it. Um, and, and at some point I decided, okay, I feel like I've, I've learned what I can here and I want to transition into more of a management role. So uh, when I went back to school, I, I came back to Sloan and that was, um, that was really the first time where I was able to take a step back and think about what are my true passions and how can I bring those into my career. Um, so I, you know, through, through the two-year business school journey, uh, really took some time to think about that and, and discovered that there are all of these um, opportunities to still focus on those same problems that I love to solve in the operations space, but do that in the world of sports. So going to Nike and now 
really solving quite similar problems to the ones that, that I was uh, doing before school, but with products that I'm passionate about and an industry that I, I really feel uh, strongly about has been, it's really, it's really been a great transition and it's made me you know, excited to see where we can sort of take the future of um, how we're delivering our products to our consumers. Yeah. And a couple pivot points. I've been thinking like some of this audience is thinking about pivoting into the industry. Yeah. So business school is a pivot point. I think management consulting as we keep talking about and then just showing up at a conference. And <laughs> <laughs> but there's other ways I think to, to make the pivot. And I'm sure some people in the audience are already in the industry somehow and thinking about the trajectory. But Matt, when you, um, I'm sure you get deluged with resumes, especially because people know Timbo is a good avenue for this. What distinguishes a resume or an outreach, and what would what really makes you take notice and think, okay, this is something, this is someone I might want to really have a conversation with? It's a really good question, and it, you know, it's, I'm sure others would agree. It's, it's certainly an imprecise science. Um, it, it, I think. In my mind, there's two levels of things. The first level are sort of the binary things that we know you need to have to be successful in a role, and, and there's no one right answer for any given role, but you know, of course we're looking for um, either professional experience for some roles or academic qualifications or skills. And so there's some combination of that, but the reality is that there's gonna be more people that can check all of those boxes, then we can hire. So then where does it go from there? And you know, I, I think one of the common threads that I see in people that we've hired that have ultimately emerged from you know, a pretty competitive recruiting process is um, some sort of story of mm -hmm. why they want the opportunity and how what they've done with their life to this date is reflective of where they want that the end of that story to be. And that's not to imply that there's one standard recipe for it. But um, I'm always most impressed by people that can come in and really articulate not only their passions, but how what they've done to date aligns well with the, the, the ultimate goal yeah. and um, can really weave together their professional experience, personal experience, um, academic experience into yeah a narrative that um, inspires confidence in us that they're gonna not only be able to do the job, but um, really be happy when they ultimately get it. Yeah, the narrative I think is really, in all the searches I do, the narrative is really important. And the translation, so I always say people like a square peg in a square hole, so if you can show the exact translation and make it easier on people, so people don't have to extrapolate how you might fit in and what you can do, that's that goes a long way even just even just subconsciously, I think, for people hiring. Sure. We all have challenges we need solved, so we're looking to solve those. And then, Michelle, what, what, what would you say in terms of things that stand out when people are talking to you and thinking and potentially sending their resume to you? Yeah, so I think all of us on here can agree that we get a lot of resumes and a lot yeah. of people reach out. And from, I mean, whenever you hire someone, it's always a risk, right? You, you hire them, you train them, you invest a lot of time and energy into these resources. Right. And um, what we found has worked the best has been, you know, the personal recommendations, right? And so when you come to me and you say, oh, I know this person, she's great, I can vouch for her. Right. I know because you're awesome that she's probably awesome, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, the networking piece, the, the personal relationship piece, it carries a lot more weight um, than I even recognized before I got into the industry. Yeah. And um, I will, on any given day, 
gives so much more weight to somebody who is coming from a trusted individual than somebody who just reaches out point blank. Yeah, so I want to get back to that because I yeah. think making these authentic relationships where people have vouched for you. But, but Brandon, given your perch and, and actually doing searches for the dolphins and leading a big component of you know, the HR effort, what I'm sure you got a lot of outrage from people yes. across the country and the yeah. world, possibly. Yeah, and it, and it was a lot of fun. You learn a lot through that process as yeah. well. And I've always felt um, your resume by itself doesn't get you a job. It can certainly not get you a job. And, and you know, if you, if you don't have the, you know, the relevant background experience, uh, if you're not getting a call from a friend or colleague recommending you, you know, kind of right. puts you near, near the back. And, and I had the, you know, unique privilege this last, you know, last six weeks or so to be a part of our head coaching search. And mm. kind of, that was a whole different That's dynamic. Yeah. And uh, as far as it, you know, when you get in an interview and when you're talking about your background, and this was something that really came out to me during our, our head coach search, um, was, you know, everybody taught, you know, what are, you, what are your strengths, what, you know, all the kind of silly questions, but when you talk about leadership style or, or you know, adversity or, or the best thing as a candidate is to give an anecdote that demonstrates what you're describing. So, mm. you know, I think Coach Flores, we hired, was unbelievable at that, and it, he was talking, he wasn't, oh, I'm a great leader, it was, you know, here's a situation where I led. And, yeah. you know, I went through adversity, or how did you overcome adversity? It's, you know, I, and if you read about his background, it's all public, but, um, you know, he tells a story or tell us about when you had, you got it, you got into it with a player and you overcame that and, and the player was better for it. So to me, that really stood out and, and it was eye-opening for me. And I thought, wow, I got to tell people that. Like when they interview, give those anecdotes that, that you demonstrate to the person that's interviewing you. And then they remember you in a different way because they don't remember just the word you use. They remember the story and they visualize the story. And they oh, remember when coach said he had this with this player and, and it sticks with you. That really stuck yeah. with me. And I thought that was a great tip that, that I, you know, we'll share moving forward with everyone. I know that's a, it's a really good point as I think about the interviews I've had and certainly at that level too, the CEO interviews I do or coach interviews, um, what really distinguishes someone. And then Aaron, I'm just curious because Nike in and of itself, knowing it a little bit, there's a lot in terms of how you rise within it and how and we can get back to this um, authentic mentorship and finding people who can guide you and vouch for you. But any thoughts on within Nike and what distinguishes, even like internally growing your career at a place like that, what distinguishes you or people who you're looking to hire and for your team? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, very relevant right now for me as I am about two years in looking at what that next career move within the company would exactly, be. And, yeah. um, it's, you know, we, uh, you'll hear it all over Nike, it's a networking company and um, mm -hmm. How do you navigate that? How do you find those people that are, are going to vouch for you at the end of the day? I think um, really taking the time to get to know the people that you're working with. Um, that's something that I haven't always been great at in the past and have been really trying to, to work on that and say, okay, I'm, I know you're on this project with me. I'm going to set up some time to grab coffee and just get to know you personally. And I think um, when you can slowly build those connections and show the people that you're working for and with that you're willing to take that extra 15 minutes and just um, invest in uh, those soft skills and getting, getting to know them a bit more, that really helps. Uh, you know, certainly there are formal processes that we go through to get those next roles, but if you have somebody within the company that can vouch for you and say, hey, I worked with this person and, and you know, she's really great at... Um, 
at, at bringing a team together. Those are sometimes the most important skills you can gain. And, and you know, I was nodding my head when Brandon was talking about uh, being able to talk to those anecdotes because mm -hmm. I've felt like that is so important at Nike, being able to tell that story that sticks with people and really share what you did in that situation and not necessarily what your team did, but what your specific contributions were. Uh, that's where, you know, when, when I talk to people looking at new roles, um, that always sticks out to me is, is what, what was that person's, you know, value add at the end of the day. And, and the better the story is, the more I, I can remember that. When yeah. I'm... But I do think, I mean, Nike is unique in our world, our broader world, because it is such a big company that you could have, I mean, I know many people have had 20, 25 year careers yeah. just by navigating. And t NBA has that as well in some ways. And if you have people who, people do transition from one group to the other a bit, but it's in smaller teams like the Dolphins, Brendan's done it, but some of it is a little harder or rarer to do. Um, but Hannah, talk a little bit about any, how externally you make great mentor, mentors or connections, people, connections, I don't like that word, it sounds transactional, but mentors or guides who can help you in your career and how you authentically have made any um, relationship that's really helped you. Sure. Um, so, you know, I think for us, it's sort of similar to what the folks here have um, discussed. And in the same way you might get somebody to mentor you is, um, you know, being good at getting a job. And then once you get there, actually being good at the job. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, we, we try to be, every organization does, but we try to be fairly merit-focused. Uh, and one of the things were actually fairly focused both in the recruiting process and when the person uh, gets there and in terms of finding a mentor and a sponsor to support you is whether this person is actually interested in understanding and researching what the actual job is. As you can imagine with a lot of these industries, there's a glitz and glamour attached to being in sports or entertainment. Um, to seeing that celebrity, seeing that actress, seeing that coach, you know, seeing that athlete. And the people who focus on that tend not to succeed, honestly, because that's not your day-to-day. -day. Uh, your day-to-day -day ends up being, you know, if you were more on the technical end, coding, analytics, um, like you're actually doing the job day-to-day -day and you're far removed from what some of that is. And to be honest, some of that glitz and glamour also wears off. I'm curious what the other uh, panelists think. So we, we put a lot of focus on actually training people to do the job they're intended to do. And for them, having the focus to do it correctly rather than being in the job or the industry for the wrong uh, reasons. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's the same way where I think a lot of the mentorship in our company develops is, you know, you're strong at your job. Um, we're, you know, I, we're not big advocates of sort of like putting your brand out there. It's, it's a heavy focus mm -hmm. or a can you do the work? Uh, and then merit-based, can you identify the people who can sponsor you within and lead you to yeah. sort of future um, navigation of, of um, uh, upward trajectory? What about external? So that's helpful, especially with internally when people are already situated. But any ex ex any stories about an external mentor or sponsor who really you know, hit it off with or took an interest in you, and then that really helped you navigate into a new role? I'm throwing it out generally to the panel. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, I think one thing that I've learned over the course of my career. I, 
I love like the concept of mentorship, and mm -hmm. I still very much believe in it. I think earlier in my career, my thought of a mentor was, you know, look at a crowd of more senior people, pick the one who looks like most like you, or mm. the one that you think you're gonna be, yeah. and like that's your mentor. And I think that's often how mentors pick mentees. It's like, oh, this is the younger version, version of me. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've learned from Timbo is like my recommendation would be not to do that because what you're going to get is you're going to get reinforcement of your existing skills and people telling you, you know, keep on working. And, and there's probably some truth to that. I think there's much more incremental value and something I focused more on in the last several years of pick someone who has an extremely different background or different mm -hmm. skills from you. And in some cases, maybe like a personality Yes. Conflict is probably too strong, but just like a little friction there, I think it's really healthy and try to get to know why they do what they do, why they approach problems a certain way, what skills that they have that you don't have are valuable to them. So when I think about both within Teambo and the sports industry more broadly, the, the people I've learned the most from, from and would consider valuable mentors were not the folks who had the prior management consulting or MBA experience. Right. I mean, there's tons of great people that you should get that from too. But it's folks who came from, you know, heavy sales backgrounds, from HR backgrounds, sports backgrounds that have been able to implant a different perspective that I, I found yeah. helpful context. Like Valerie Camillo yeah. is a good mentor. Yeah, yeah. She's Absolutely. both of our mates. She's a mentor to both of us. Absolutely. <laughs> She's a great one, for yeah. sure. But I had I, a, sorry, yeah. Liz. I had a, yeah, a boss once that, was, that said that your mentor should should be like your own internal board of directors. Mm -hmm. So they, they should be with different backgrounds, different experiences, right. and really not, not a group of people who love you and, and say yes, right? Yeah. It's not your parents, exactly. it's not your siblings. It's a group of independent directors that are you know, wise and have experience and will tell it to you straight, and that's really the best way. I know, and push you, I was just thinking that as Matt is saying it, because two of my mentors, one is chairman of uh, Proskauer, uh, uh, you know, and clearly thinks very differently than me, just, more brilliant in many ways, but he pushes me and doesn't yes me a lot. And one was a 30-year investment banker, one of the first women investment bankers at JP Morgan, which is a tough thing to do. And I mean, she just gives it to me so straight. And I feel like those kind of mentors help push you career-wise. But what about this sponsor's internal or external? How, do, how does one, I think the comment around you do the work and you do the work well, and then people automatically, um, naturally want to sponsor you, but how do you find that person? I mean, rather, in, you could walk up at a conference and luck out and find someone, but how do you really create that sponsor relationship, internally or externally? Thoughts? Yeah, we actually, it's interesting, at Nike we do have a, a formal program where, you know, you can apply as a a mentee, get assigned yeah. a mentor. I haven't found a lot of success in that. Yeah, um, right. Only because I do think that there's a a goal um, in that algorithm of matching you with somebody with a, a similar background. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And, you know, for if you're looking to be challenged in the way that you're thinking about things or really have that person who is going to make you take a step back and look at, look at a problem differently, uh, then that might not be the best fit. So, um, I, I mean, I really do feel like, you know, it requires a bit of pushing you out of your comfort zone in some situations and, and you know, walking up to somebody or shooting somebody an email and just asking for, for 15, 20 minutes of their time. Um, I've rarely had, had a no. Sometimes I don't get a response, but, I, you know, you don't take right. that as the worst thing. But I, I feel like that is just, like, the first step. And, 
and uh, how you continue to grow and develop that relationship mm -hmm. over your career is almost feel like a more uh, a challenge that requires you know more effort and really uh, it's not just going to happen on its own like you have to really like any other relationship you have to work to develop that yeah. and make it something worthwhile and I think also the idea the rejection piece I think so I mean in, in the commercial side of the sports business 95% of the time you're getting rejected I think actually that stat is high but 75% of the time generally I bet you have to steal yourself from people not responding or not People are busy, right. and I think yeah. it's totally okay not to personalize it at all. So, Michelle, any um, anecdotes you have or, or comments on people who have helped mentor and sponsor you to grow your career? Yeah, and I, I think it's important to decouple the, the mentorship from the sponsorship or advocacy piece, yes. right? And I, I see it very differently. That's right. Um, and so personally, echoing what Aaron said, the, the formal, I've participated in so many mentorship programs yeah. both, on both sides. Um, for me, it, it doesn't always work out, right? It's, it's a little awkward, it's a little too formal for me, and how I've found the best mentorship has been, it's, I mean, it's kind of like dating, like you just, you're not expecting it, it just kind of happens. <laughs> um, and so like you're just talking to some really cool person and you realize, wow, like this person is super successful, we connect on just a different level, they get it, I, I get what they're putting out there, they get me, I get them, yeah. and it just kind of happens. And that's kind of how I felt. Like when you go searching for it, it's with it's it works for a lot of people. But I found for myself, it just sometimes just you don't get that connection, and then you're just kind of living your life. Next thing you know, oh my God, like this person is such a great mentor to me. And so that's kind of how it's been working for me recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. What about things you'd wish you had known? So as you're coming up, so either transitioning into sports, which many of you have done, or or as you're growing your career, wish you had known and wish you potentially had done differently. And even if you could give like an anecdote rather than talk in the abstract would be great. I'll give you a second to think about it, but then I'm gonna call on Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to put on, be put on the spot with these things. So for me, it was, you know, I, I think I, I thought that you know, this job that ultimately I, I'm in now was, was uh, impossible to get to. There was this, it was mythical. It was, you know, right. it was this special job that only really special people had. And there was no chance I would ever, and that's the farthest thing from the truth. I mean, um, there's no reason anybody can't do it. You know, mm -hmm. if, if, you, if, if you work hard and you learn and you have great mentors and, and uh, you know, there's, like, we're all just people, right? Like, if you're just a good person and you, you work your ass off and, and, and you learn and grow and you have a little help and a little luck along the way, like, there's no job you, you can't have. So I think growing up, I always put this halo or whatever it was around this job. And, and as I've gotten older and kind of transitioned through a number of different jobs, it's anybody can do any job it's not it's not special you know it's it's just about doing good work and, and, and being good being good and getting help and getting lucky and and all that so you know there's no reason you can't have any job that you want yeah I mean I think for me the the thing I wish I would have known is just learning how to fail mm -hmm. um, and I think whether you're an analyst or if you're a president or a CEO you're gonna mess up sometimes you're gonna mess up all the time yeah right all right and it's really um, it's recognizing the fact that nobody's perfect you're gonna mess up and it's fine and it's taking the times when you fail and really figuring out how you turn that into a learning experience and how you make sure it never happens again um, and so I mean I've I mess up all the time as my colleagues know and it's not a bad thing and you turn it into a learning experience and so um, you know, just being comfortable with the concept of failure, I think is super hard to just, as a human being, get yourself comfortable with. 
Um, Especially a lot of us who are aspirational, have gone to great yes. schools or type A. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but it's, it's going to happen. And I think the sooner that you realize how to deal with it and learn from it and recognize that it's not a bad thing, um, the more successful that you're going to find yourself yeah. to be. One quick thing I would say, and then I want to get back to um, what you would have done, di- what folks would have done differently. The most amazing people I think who work with me and for me if, when they make mistakes, which is true, I make a mistake at least every single day, yeah. <laughs> and not multiple times a day, and it's owning that mistake and not blaming others. So I have seen a trend, I don't want to get into this like millennial stereotype, <laughs> around um, people essentially not owning it and blaming, well, you didn't, I, I remember in my, a few years ago, someone was working for me said, well, you didn't give me the right, enough, the right information. So it's like essentially putting it on me. Yeah. Which is, you know, the, that's not a, that's not something you want to do. You just own it. Um, but other, other ways in terms of, um, or just anecdotes around things you would have done differently. I can go. Um, I think early on I may have been, um, a little too singularly focused on, say, a specific company or even industry. Yeah. Like, there was a period where I was here at Sloan, um, it's nice to have Aaron on the panel, that I was focused on being at Nike. and was like, I had to get there. It was, you know, the dream job. Right. And I remember a professor coming to me and saying, why, why are you doing that? Why, why is that so important? And his basic message was, don't chase the brand, chase the job and the people. And so it, it kind of opened um, my mind a little bit to the fact that you, know, you can have um, a lot of opportunities in very interesting uh, spaces and that you, know, you may, even if you're interested in a particular company and that's where you want to work, fine. Like it, what matters is the job that you do day to day and the people that you work with. Um, and, and less you know, where you might be. I think you might be happier if you end up in a place um, what you know that you've really dil- done diligence on in terms of what it is that you actually uh, want to do, and Nike's obviously a great place. I, I didn't end up um, uh, go, uh, going there, but uh, it just was more an example in terms of how you how you think about your career and, and the focus that you have. You can sort of really broaden your horizon in terms of what you could do with the skills that you have. Mm-hmm. This may be a an unorthodox answer for a sports analytics conference, but I think the thing I wish I had developed earlier was sales experience yeah. and acumen, partially because in Teambo, we're essentially sales and marketing consultants to our team, so right. it's nice to actually know what you're talking about. But more than that, I think, you know, I, I can't even count how many times in my career I have been proud of the analysis I did or the work I did and the recommendation I came up with and went into a room so confident that everyone was going to see the analysis and just be won over and then left that room and just once taking a step back and being like, what the hell just happened? Because everything fell apart so quickly and reflecting on so many of those examples, it wasn't that the work was wrong. Mm -hmm. It was that the, you know, we're all in sales, right? You're selling your idea, you're selling your recommendation, um, you're, you're, you're selling you to some extent. And I think now I'm getting better at figuring out the right sales approach for an idea for the right situation. And really mm-hmm. it comes down to just being able to morph your approach to your audience. And I think that um, that is something that if I had a decade ago, I probably would have been a lot more successful in a lot of very specific situations that 
Um, I'm still not perfect now for <laughs> any, by any means, but, but especially I'm, I'm for those who are, and I think Matt, you're in this in this camp that have the potential to be an overarching CEO or general manager of an organization. Understanding the commercial side of it and selling and influencing is so critical. And many of the most successful, especially CEOs, and I, I do spend a lot of time in the teams and the leagues, as you know, but they are people who almost always have come up in a really good commercially savvy way. And I've, I've had conversations, like developmental conversations with employees that work for us right. that I've given them explicit feedback that, you know, your development area is all about... It's going to be all about EQ and relatability. And I've had people come and tell me, look, like, I don't care about that. Like, I'm an analytical person. Like, I know my work is right. And people are going to see what I can do. And they're just, I'm going to win them over based on that. And yeah. I always just tell them, you know, good, good luck with that. Because I I've <laughs> yet to see it. It worked. Um, I mean, I have to say this is sad commentary, but we are still a superficial society, too, that cares about gravitas and presentation and just the ways in which people comport themselves but also can sell. And so it matter what you're doing. So, um, okay, any other wish you would know? And then I have a couple other questions before we take audience questions. I was going to say, just building, building on Matt's point a bit, I, yes. I totally agree with this, and I think for me, um, even more than just that sales acumen, like, understanding that you can give the same the same slides the same presentation to different yeah. groups and you need to change the message yeah. depending yeah. on who you're dealing with was really not something that I uh, had thought enough about I think going into to my career after business school and you know I'm working on projects where I'll meet with manufacturing one day and our merchandising team the next and the message of why this is important and what it means for them like completely changes and those people mot are motivated to help you by very different things so I think taking the time to prepare before um, before you go into those discussions and think about what the motivations are of the people you're talking to uh, certainly something I continue to try to work on yeah so I would do like a lightning round of the most unique hiring story, and I'll start so you can think about it. Brandon's, Brandon already gave us a good one, but I was recruited to, and this is either you being hired or you hiring someone in a very unique way. I was recruited to executive search, which I, many people here don't know what it is. I still don't exactly know how to explain it, but um, it's a very unique industry by sitting next to someone on a flight. And so I was on a flight going from, I remember this Manchester, New Hampshire, I was, in, I was a management consultant, so I was flying all the time um, to BWI Airport in a very, uh, actually a day like this, kind of snowy day, a lot of delays, and we struck up a conversation, and six months later I was in executive search. So unique hiring stories either for yourself or someone you've hired. I can start. Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier on, you know, failure and not, it not happening the first time. I mean, my current position now, um, I actually interviewed for the role a year before I actually joined the team. Yeah. Um, and at that point in time, you know, the combination of experience and fit and skill set, um, you know, they passed over me for the role and ended up mm -hmm. hiring somebody else. And so at the time, I was like really bummed out about it. I was really upset, and you know, just the whole rejection thing, just never yeah. good pill to swallow. And and so you know, I was in. I remember I was in Hong Kong. I was on vacation, and I got an email from you know the lady who ended up hiring me, being like, 
I've been, you know, keeping tabs on you for the last year. Um, we have this amazing opportunity for you, and you know, didn't even really have to interview for the job. It just kind of just naturally fell in my lap, right? And so, um, never thought that that would have happened. It was, you know, kind of had completely written it off in my head. And next thing you know, you know, here I am. So, yeah. so it was really interesting. How Resilience is a bit. Yes. I mean, just being able to bounce back very quickly. It actually yeah. has to do with the sales and commercial component as well. The rejection I can talk about. Um, Hannah, any unique? Sure. Um, um, I can think of one example where we um, were hiring for a fairly technical role, and we do these sort of case study type things where we ask people to look at a problem, come back with a solution, um, and sort of an analytical output. And he had come in, and honestly, he like totally failed the, the presentation. Just like he, he knew, we knew, like, tanked it. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, they interviewed and we more or less, you know, didn't communicate on the spot, but it was probably not going to go anywhere. And he sent a note that day and he said something like, oh, it wasn't my best day. Um, mm. Can I please come in and try again? Uh, and it was, you know, he had uh, rated fairly highly on all the interpersonal characteristics, so we liked him a lot. And we met as a team, we're like, why not? You know, yeah, this is a, sort of a regression to the mean. People are going to have bad days. People are going to have good days. Um, and like, we, we're human beings. We fail. So we brought him back. And he literally came back and just nailed it. Mm. Um, and you know, in most interview settings, and even for us, he would have been one and done. Um, but in a, in a, you know, we've done a lot of thinking and studying about interviews and themselves and our recruiting program, and it's so imperfect and it's so hard. I think Daryl was saying yesterday there's like 30% noise in terms of like, like um, and 70% um, confidence in getting a player to, you know, and signing on a player who you think will actually perform well. Mm -hmm. and so that's a lot, you know, it's a mm -hmm. lot of noise. And so we were, you know, proud of ourselves and of him for actually recognizing that a little bit and what was a hire that we needed to hire fast. And he ended up being one of our strongest contributors. I'm so glad, I'm glad. And he didn't say, you gave me too difficult of a present of a case study. <laughs> he didn't. And he was very nice about he it. Owned he owned it. He wasn't defensive. Um, yeah, exactly. But he was resilient and yeah. um, came Completely. back. Aaron, anyone? Yeah, I think, well, I guess one where um, I, I didn't actually end up taking, taking the opportunity, but uh, you know, ended up interviewing in an interesting fashion. I, um, so I was part of the LGO program here, um, which has a certain number of partner companies that come to campus throughout the year, and uh, they're always hosting you know, different networking <laughs> events where you, know, you get some free beer and appetizers and everyone suddenly shows up. Um, so there was a company that I, I wasn't very interested in, honestly, at, at the start, but um, I did you know, join some friends, end up going to their sort of happy hour, and uh, the head recruiter's son was in high school and was thinking about going to school for chemical engineering. And I just ended up sitting there and talking to him about it for a while because I remembered you know, trying to figure out if that's what I wanted to do. And, and by the end of the conversation, he had asked if I would be willing to, you know, talk to his son on the phone about it a bit more, set up a conversation with his son, then went back and talked to him about it. And I ended up, through just developing this connection with him, interviewing for a role because uh, when we talk about, like, the people are so important, I just really found, like, this guy as somebody who I connected well with. And I was like, 
don't know if I, I am passionate about this industry, but you seem like a person that mm-hmm. um, I, I could work for and, and could feel good about that. Um, didn't end up taking a role with him, but he's still in talking about external mentors. He is the person that I call if I have a challenge I'm facing where I don't feel comfortable talking to somebody internally at the company, yeah. he's, he knows that he'll, he'll be the first call. So. Yeah. Taking interest in people's kids. Now I'm a, a, new, a new mom. I'm like, yeah, that's, I can see that's yeah. a good, good uh, <laughs> entree. And Brandon and Matt, any good stories? Really, well, you have a great The story. first one for me is great. But even, <laughs> even as the years went on, um, you know, when I started as, as the intern, I was an intern for, for, I think, the longest in history, three plus years, whatever it might have been. And then, <laughs> and then I moved over in, into our business operations as kind of our corporate counsel and had, had done that for two years and had some success and w- was learning. And, and um, when Tom came to the Dolphins um, at the end of 2013, early 2014, um, he sat me down in, in early 14 and, you know, called me to his office and I was all nervous and, you know, he, he just got here and I thought I was doing well and I thought it'd be a, a good conversation, but, you know, you're still kind of nervous about, about, about that. And so we sat down and he asked me to, to leave the legal department and, and moved to human resources and I was devastated and, mm. and he started laughing and, really? and, he, and he's like, you know, you don't know how good this is going to be for you. You just got to trust me and do it. And for me, I went in and was, well, how is this going to help me? Like, I, I want to do, you know, I want to do football. This is the opposite of football. And and uh, and he was great. And, and but it, it's just a funny story in that, you know, I had, you know, somebody who knew what could help me before I realized it. And, and I got offered a job, and I was devastated. And it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me in my career. You were good at it. I, yeah, I was okay. Yeah, you were. I was, yeah. I was okay. I, I worked um, during it. Yeah. But at the at the time, I thought it was a demotion, and you know. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, it was just it was just different. I had, a, I had the wrong mindset at the time, and and, and he laughed and says, "Trust me, you'll be okay." It is really unique. The Dolphins. I mean, get to a story from Matt, but um, just in terms of the. I mean, you've had people cross over from sponsorship sales to HR mm-hmm. to, and I think it is like one of the most brilliant things to yeah. be able to get someone so diverse in their skills. Right. I mean, good stories, Matt. Um, I think the one I often think about is when I was in business school, it was the uh, fall of my second year, um, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do. I would hit up, um, you know, the recruiting events, companies would come in, right. went to one in the fall of my second year, came out of it like no materially good conversations, pretty frustrated, you're looking for jobs in sports, none of the companies were really relevant. So left this um, networking event just kinda kinda down and went right. from this you know early evening event to a sports bar in Palo Alto to watch a Stanford football game where um, they had been playing on the road as a Thursday night, I remember. And went to the sports bar, you know, have a drink, let off some steam and ended up just randomly getting into a conversation with some other guy at the bar about the physical sports bar. And at this point, I was kind of midway through some rant about, you know, sports bars is never a great viewing experience. They're kind of poorly designed. You can never see the TVs, like this whole thing. And the guy's kind of agreeing with me. And towards the end of this conversation, he decides to reveal that he had also come from the same networking event I was at. He was in town from Anheuser-Busch, mm-hmm. who's one of the companies recruiting. I didn't even go to their table, because in my head, um, I didn't want to work in you know the, the beer industry. Right. But one of the things they were actually recruiting for were people in like a 
sports marketing focused division and one of the things they were explicitly talking about was like branded sports bars and the sports bar of the future and this was an innovation opportunity for AB um, and we had a really good chat the rest of the night, kept in contact with him, um, ended up getting an offer to go work for Anheuser-Busch mm -hmm. full-time, didn't end up taking it because I came back um, to the NBA after school but I, I think it's always something I think about just you know you're always conscious of how you come across when you think you're in an interview situation or a networking situation, but sometimes you're at your best and can win people over when you don't really realize that you're, yeah. uh, you're, you're being evaluated, or this, maybe you're not even being evaluated. So but, true, just yeah. yourself, and you're yeah. just being authentic. Authenticity, I mean, the, that's the thing. I actually, I hate the word networking so much because it reminds me of going into a big room like this and just being like, here's my business card, here's my business card, which I feel like is so, um, you know, it's like a scene out of Saturday Night Live or The Office or something. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple of quick, um, it looks like we have a couple minutes left. So these are from the audience. How targeted should my career search be within the sports industry? For example, either at the team level, league level, or in business. So how targeted or versus broad? I mean, I would, I would advise people target more like the types of opportunities and skills you want to develop versus um, the company itself. And yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. it was the same point mentioned earlier, you know, I think people are just locked into like where you want to work and that's often secondary to what types of things you want to be doing, mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, um, the the coolness factor of getting whatever logo you, you, you care about on your business card right. is going to wear off and potentially wear off pretty quickly. What's not going to wear off is you know, that feeling of personal fulfillment, um, learning, development. So I would say I always like people that are broad with like the types of companies and the organizations that they're reaching out to, but at the same time focused with knowing, you know, what they're passionate about, what kind of things they want to do, what they want to learn, what kind of people they think they'll connect with. Yeah, that's good. Other thoughts on broad versus narrow? Yeah, I'd say broad. I mean, if you're so narrow and and targeted, you're going to miss all this stuff that comes by, all these opportunities mm -hmm. that are there, and you're, you're just your eyes are going to be closed. You're not you're going to miss them. Okay, I would agree. And back to I mean authenticity. I think mm -hmm. you know be broad, but be authentic in why you are interested in something. I feel like if you're just covering the gamut just because you feel like you need to, it's going to come off in an interview like you're not as interested as you should be. So yeah. um, just figuring out what feels right to you. Okay, one more rapid thing, because we have one minute left, it looks like. One thing that people, and we'll just do like, go down the line, what is one thing that people outside the industry don't understand about working in sports? And I would say it's that the brands are big and the organizations are small. So it's very um, resource conscious and, and not, not so fancy all the time, which I think people think it's glamorous, but it's a very, um, you know, small organizations, mom and pop shops a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, I can't emphasize that. I mean, yeah. I'm not in sports per se, but like, yeah. I'm tangentially, I met with Matt yesterday, so like tangentially involved in sports. Um, right. But I think just in general, um, it's not gonna be a sexy job, right? right. Like analytics, strategy, uh, leadership, none of it's sexy. Like sure, you might go to some awesome concerts and you might meet interesting people. Right. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that regardless of the industry you're in, 
it's a job and you know you're not going to be dealing with athletes or celebrities every day it's you're dealing with numbers you're dealing with like long-term plans budgets kpis right and right. so i think it's just understanding that it's not the glamorous world that you think it is yeah yeah i'm gonna have to say something similar i mean <laughs> i uh you know, I get asked every once in a while, like, oh, like, do you guys all work out together every day, you know, and Nike? <laughs> yeah, Nike. Is it just That's a awesome. campus full of gyms? <laughs> right, like, exactly. Honestly, um, yeah, you, ha you have to love the work itself that you're doing because, you know, LeBron will show up <laughs> once in a blue moon and you right. can see him from afar, but he's not walking up to your desk asking you, you know, how work's going. So um, <laughs> a lot less interaction with our with our superstars. How's that KPI? Right, yeah. He's really interested in delivering our, you know, Road Pegasus maps, on yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, I work out every day. <laughs> but um, I, I think, I think I'll, especially in the team and league sports side, I think it's like the, the chaos that is the hiring and recruiting process. I think sometimes yeah. people right. find it hard to believe that, you know, we at the NBA or teams, like, haven't figured out all our hiring plans for the next season months in advance and, and they kind of see it as like a blow off or like, you know, well, I, I don't, I'm not interested in talking to you, but the reality is for those of you in it, like things happen really quickly and sometimes in an extremely reactive way. So just because you hear, you know, we don't have anything right now, we're still trying to figure out our plans. That's not like, we don't want to talk to you. Off, That's yeah. often... Mm -hmm. the very true reality of the situation. Um, I'd love to uh, tweak that model if I could, but that, that's sort of how it is. So being nimble, flexible, um, yeah. go with the flow and the process, which is hard for us type A folks, is uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill, I think. Good thing to know about working in sports. Sure. I'll speak for uh, entertainment, but uh, one thing that surprised me is um, how many and how deep some of the um, sort of um, thinking is and how in terms of the decisions that are being made um, for a very long time and to some extent still entertainment is a gut-based industry so it's gone you know it's changed quite a bit especially in the last five to ten years um, but sort of make it more practical for you guys analytics has a ton of opportunity and a ton of value to add, but you also have to go against the ingrained, well-established beliefs of a lot of the people who've been in the industry for a long time. And if you are trying to get in it, you're probably going to have to do a little bit of selling, um, you know, going to be very strong on communication about how whatever you're doing on the analytical front or otherwise is going to add value to these organizations. Uh, uh, going forward, and we're obviously, it's a fairly rapidly changing industry with all the streaming services that are coming out, and so there's uh, a need to both understand the ingrained beliefs, but also adapt to what's going on in the industry and quickly and dynamically um, uh, use your analytics and communicate how it adds uh, value to the organizations. Cool, I'm Brandon, yeah, so I wrap think my, us up. My answer is similar to yours. Um, it's not quite as sexy as it seems, and when yeah. I when I got and I hired full-time for the first time, I was, a, I was a sports lawyer, right? And that's awesome. But my first assignment was I went to California and I spent a week combing through a storage room full of medical records from players in the 70s. Wow. And, and that, was, that's, you know, that was the sexy sports lawyer job that I got yeah. to do. So it's not, it's not all that great sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think we're out of time, right, David? I don't know who he is, but thank you all for being here today. Really appreciate it. 
If you want to hear these panels in person next year on March 6th and 7th, 2020 in Boston, please register for the 14th annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at sloansportsconference.com. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.